Um, as Melissa mentioned last week in her message, even though we have wrapped up our series going through the book of Philippians, um, we feel like there was so much groundwork laid for us by Paul in his letter to talk about relationships. So something, you know, we believe in Chi Alpha is that the kingdom of God is established through relationship. That's how we see Jesus doing it. Jesus didn't give us a bunch of theories and ideologies and concepts. He made friends and then showed them personally how to live in his kingdom. The kingdom of God is established through relationship. So for the rest of the quarter, our series is going to build off of what we've covered already. Um, and we're so grateful that you're here hearing and accepting and applying the word of God. Uh, before I go any further, I should pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I pray that you would speak through me um, to all of us this evening. I pray that every time we read from your word, we would hear it and internalize it and understand. Um, I pray that we would be yeah, deeply impacted by what you have to say to us. Um, Holy Spirit, would you just prepare our hearts even right now? to hear. Amen. Um, could I get the Bible pastors to just come and start that? If you don't have a Bible, we'll be reading from it, so you just put up your hand and we'll get you one. I don't see many hands. That's cool. If you, if you need one, don't be shy. Um, <coughs> last time I spoke, I showed some pictures of my amazing family, my wife, Cassidy, my son, Matthew, my daughter, Sophie. Goes without saying, that I love my family. My relationship with Matthew and Sophie has been full of fascinating discoveries. Like the discovery that some days, no matter, uh, no amount of engineering or imagination could create a diaper strong enough to contain a baby Sophie poop rocket. Or on, like, special days, <coughs> when Matthew is done eating the food on his plate, it won't do to just stop eating it. Uh, in order to properly communicate to me that he's done with his meal, he needs to throw the plate with the food still on it on the ground. <laughs> that way, his parents will know for sure that he's done. Tim and Shana can attest that happens. Some other things I've learned about um, their personalities are a little bit more endearing. Matthew is a morning person, at least right now. The other day, he came barreling into the kitchen, laughing and squealing with joy, mere moments after waking up. He didn't even have any clothes on yet. <laughs> I turned to Shana and I said, can you imagine having that much energy seconds after waking up? <laughs> Something else I've observed about Matthew is that he really likes to have multiple of something on hand. Um, like, I've come out to the living room before and seen him having assembled six binkies on the coffee table, just staring at them and then, like, trying them out one at a time. <laughs> uh, I've also experienced him scream with terror when I don't give him more sweet potatoes fast enough. Like, even if he has some on his plate, he wants more on hand for when he finishes those. He doesn't want to wait for me to serve him more. You might be able to tell that meals in our family are a bit of a tightrope walk between, like, having not enough food and having too much food on the plate. Um, one of my favorite 
sites in the entire world right now is seeing Sophie smile at me when I come into the room. She recognizes me as one of her people. Uh, she also recognizes her brother as one of her people. And she gives him a similar look, slightly different. She will lean forward as far as possible, gurgling and squealing with delight at whatever he's doing right in front of her. Sometimes Matthew will pin her to the ground, and she really likes that. <laughs> both of our kids recognize each other, and they both recognize their parents. They know us. But in reality, we know them so much more than they know us. They, they more know of us at this point. They know that we provide for them, that we pick them up and carry them when they get hurt, or that we put them in the bath or we feed them. But they don't actually know anything about us yet. Matthew doesn't know my favorite color or what podcasts I like to listen to. So if he doesn't know what I hope for the future or what my daily schedule is, neither of them, like most of you, uh, knew me or Cassidy before we were married, and they never will. In their mind, we've always been together because in their life, we have. Now, there's a reason that God is described in the Bible as a father, um, even as a, a mother hen in Matthew 23 to 37. He's described as a parenting figure. The Apostle Paul alludes to this kind of relationship that I'm talking about having with my kids, but with God. In 1 Corinthians 8.3, he says, Whoever loves God is known by God. Not whoever loves God knows God. Whoever loves God is known by God. In Galatians 4.9, he says, But now that you know God, or rather, maybe more accurately, are known by God. In Ephesians 3.17, he says, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul has recognized that it's not really that we know the all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite God. We aspire to know him, but he knows us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, for Right now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But one day, we will see face to face. Right now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known by him. Right now, we're seeing something like God, but there will come a day when we will fully know the one we can only look at now. Just like Sophie and Matthew can only imagine a world without me and Cassidy being their parents, we can really only imagine who God really is. But he knows you fully, and he knows it all. He knows your food quirks and your habits. He knows your proudest moments and your most embarrassing moments. If we want to know how to relate to God, I think it starts with the realization that he knows you. <coughs> and it is worth pursuing a relationship with this God because it is out of this relationship from which all other relationships in your life stem. Have you noticed that throughout our Philippians series, that in every message, we have come back to one passage every week? Does anyone know what that passage is? You could shout it out if you know. 
I'm hearing whispers like Phil- like Philippians 2. Yeah, verses something something. Yeah. <laughs> yep, Philippians 2. We see this as just a foundational passage of this letter. Go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Philippians 2. Specifically verses, uh, well, we can start in verse 5. Yeah, go ahead and flip to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This passage begins with, in your relationships with one another, with your friends, your parents, your brothers, your roommates, your classmates, your significant other, your children, your boss, your spiritual leaders, in all your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So before we go any further, we have to ask, how did Jesus relate with his heavenly father? And as the passage says, being God himself, how do we relate to Jesus? Well, luckily for us, uh, we know a lot about what Jesus taught on this topic. Can I tell you a story from Jesus' ministry? Thank you. Matthew 22, 35 through 40 says, One of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, and then Joshua through Kings, and then to Isaiah through Malachi, the prophets. Uh, You can ask someone who's in the biblical literacy class what these two categories are called in Hebrew, and they might might be able to remember Maybe. Okay, you should ask them. So when Jesus says that the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, he's saying the whole message of the Old Testament could be summed up by saying, love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Talk about a shortcut. Why are we talking about the Old Testament, though? Well, for hundreds of years, the Israelites were trying to figure out exactly how to live out their calling to be the people of God. They were trying to figure out how to relate to God, just like we are today. Jesus' answer here gets straight to the heart of their main problem. This may or may not come as a surprise to you, but if I had to sum up the Israelites' problem throughout the centuries, I would say it's that they had trouble staying faithful to their God, Yahweh. The Israelites had trouble staying faithful to their God, Yahweh. They were led astray by the polytheistic worldviews that surrounded them, and they chose to worship other gods. 
Dan Gunther, in his book, Epic Science, Ancient Faith, author in the house, shout out, (coughs) writes that the Hebrews struggled to separate from their polytheistic neighbors. The clear message heard by the Hebrews in Genesis 1 was not when God made the sun, moon, and stars, but which God. In our culture, we might find ourselves asking, how do I know that there is a God? But in their culture, the question was more like, how do I know which God will be the most beneficial? The Israelites were often confused by the idea of worshiping one God. You have to understand that this was a brand new concept to them. So I'm asking you to look into a different culture with me. So empathize with them for a second. From their point of view, if they didn't pray to and worship the God of the harvest, in their minds, they were putting their whole harvest in jeopardy. If they didn't pray to the God of war, how could they expect to win their upcoming battle? The Israelites felt the need to cover their bases because if they didn't, they risked their livelihood, their protection and safety, their physical well-being, everything. Now, this may feel hard to relate to because as Christians, we only believe in one God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, but our actions actually show that we're not quite as different from the Israelites. We don't always demonstrate through our decisions that we actually trust only in this one God for our livelihood, our protection, our well-being, and dare I say it, our entertainment. In fact, we bow down to worship the God of entertainment when we binge watch a TV show or spend hours scrolling on our phone or play a video game all night. We're doing these things because we believe that they will bring us satisfaction, entertainment, relaxation, whatever. And in doing so, we abandon the true God for worthless shadows of what he is offering. When we're struggling in life or experiencing pain or we're bored, where do we go for the remedy? Our culture has come a long way in acknowledging mental health issues. In fact, there's the concept of a mental health break that exists now that I think is very positive in some ways. But how many of us, when we feel like we need that mental health break, spend our time with a screen in front of us? How many of us are trying to recover from a long day of school or a busy couple weeks by scrolling on the phone or like catching up, AKA binge watching a TV show or playing a game for endless hours? Maybe, Maybe you're facing a busy week and you decide to double down on your work. You know that working hard in school means that you'll be able to graduate and get a good paying job and live a comfortable life, you're disciplined. Because these things aren't inherently bad, but if you think that they will satisfy you and bring you rest, they have deceived you. We have been deceived by false gods that make us promises they can't keep. Our struggle is really not too different than the ancient Israelites at its core. It's hard not to want to cover our bases. It's hard to trust that this one being will ultimately satisfy us. (sighs) Okay, that's the bad news. Are you ready for the good news? The good news is that Jesus discovered the solution to this conundrum. 
and he told us how to do it. Did you know that Jesus was tempted to worship false gods? Did you know that Jesus was tempted to be unfaithful to his father? Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus is able to empathize with us in our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. How did Jesus say no to these temptations? Are you ready for the secret? It can be summed up in one word, abide. Can I tell you another story from Jesus' life? Actually, hey, why don't we all just turn there? Mark 1. Mark 1, thir- verse 32. A couple books back from Philippians. This one is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark 1, 32. It reads, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but the demons, w- uh, but it, he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. This passage contains the power of the abiding life Jesus had with his father. After a long night of casting out demons and healing the sick, Mark includes a seemingly benign verse in the middle of the story that clues us into Jesus' secret. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is not a random detail. Mark is disclosing to us the key to Jesus' life. Jesus, in the midst of relating to hundreds of different people, all with different needs and dynamics, prioritized his relationship with his Father. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you. In the NIV, it says remain. I like abide. In this passage, Jesus also says, I am the true vine. Abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abide in my love. Henry Nouwen, one of our favorite authors next to Dan Gunther in Chi Alpha, speaks to the power of the abiding life in his book, Out of Solitude. He says, In abiding solitude, We can listen to the voice of him who spoke to us before we could speak a word, who healed us before we could make any gesture to help, who set us free long before we could free others, and who loved us long before we could give love to anyone. Looking at our passage, what are the loudest voices in Jesus' life at this moment? 
I would say it's the people, the disciples, the needs. I mean, the popularity. Jesus was indispensable. How good it must have felt to be so wanted, to be so revered, to be so useful. What does Jesus decide to respond to, though? He responds to the quiet voice. What's the quiet voice? It's so quiet, you literally don't even hear it in the story. Jesus had to escape the crowd to hear it. We don't know exactly what his time of prayer entailed or what exactly he heard, but we do know that Jesus was able to make a disciplined, confident decision to move on, even when, then, when there were loud voices in his life seeking to steal his attention. Do you know that there are and will be times in your life when loud voices call for your attention and the Lord will actually be calling you to something else? How will you hear him in the midst of the loud noises? Will, will you be able to hear him if you have your phone with you 24-7? Will you be able to hear him if you have constant input coming in the form of TV shows, movies, podcasts, music? Jesus was in the midst of an exciting time in ministry, and he still needed to align with the Father to see what the actual right path was. How much do you think we need this kind of time with God in our lives? Where do the gods in our life try to steal our attention? Abiding in Jesus sits at the center of all of our relationships and our ability to relate well with one another. When we abide in Jesus, we are spending time with the one who knows us. More than anyone could ever know you. He knows you and he loves you. This is why, in case you've missed it, we talk about the importance of a daily God time so much in Chi Alpha. Show of hands if you've ever heard anyone talking about a God time in Chi Alpha. Okay. A God time, for those who didn't raise their hands, is what we call it when we take some time, usually alone, to be with God, read the Bible, pray, and journal. We believe that this time spent with the Lord is powerful, like life-altering, paradigm shifting above all else my desire for all of you would be that you would experience the relationship that shapes all other relationships now let me ask you you know jesus had his quiet time on the hill where he spent time with his father do you think that once jesus came down from the hill he never thought about his father for the again for the rest of the day of course he did (laughs) The point of this time isn't so that Jesus can check the box. This abiding time set the trajectory for his day, for a whole day of abiding. In John 5, Jesus says (coughs) he only does what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. When we see Jesus, we're seeing a life that grounds itself in the, v- in the voice and presence of his father. I can remember when I was a freshman in college here at Central. I started reading the Bible and praying and journaling a God time. And it was amazing. Um, <coughs> but something happened. 
I started noticing how different I felt, how good I felt. I felt secure, confident, joyful when I had this time with the Lord. It was like impacting the rest of my day every time I did it. Here's the thing, though. What I actually started really noticing uh, was when I d- the days that I didn't have a God time. I felt the absence of that time in my day, and it made it challenging to feel like I was actually abiding that day. Can any- anyone else relate? Sometimes it's a little bit harder. Now, here's the thing. I knew that my days when I had spent time with the Lord in the morning were better. They just were. So I knew that so much, so I made a decision to become more disciplined. I wanted more in my relationship with God. Luckily for me, two of my older friends in Chi Alpha, Jesse and Carl, wanted the same. So we met at a time that was free in all of our schedules every weekday, 6.30 a.m. The location, Holmes Dining. Pretty sure Holmes Dining is closed at 6.30 a.m. these days. It was closed then as well. We would actually clear the chairs that blocked the entrance, walk to the back of Holmes by the windows, spread out, get down on our knees every morning without fail for two quarters in a row, and prayed our guts out. Then we would get up at 7, grab breakfast, and read our Bibles till our 8 a.m. classes. I'm not telling you that you have to do exactly that. But I'm asking you, how badly do you want to know God? What are you willing to do to make time with him? That season changed my life forever. It ingrained in me a new understanding of the God I claimed to believe in. It gave me the best habit I could possibly ask for. Jesus taught me how to abide in him in a way I had never known before. Now, you may be asking, how does spending time with Jesus override the problem of worshiping other gods? (coughs) Well, what happens for Jesus when he spends time with God? He can see with clarity. He experiences the impact and peace that comes from a one-on-one with God. When you feel the urge to spend some time abiding with Netflix, could you consider spending some time with God in prayer? When you feel the urge to take your problems to a friend or your significant other, could you consider spending some time with God in prayer? (laughs) When you feel the frantic need to study and get the perfect grade in your classes, could you be like Jesus and consider spending some time with God in prayer? Last week, Melissa said, there's more joy available to us in every moment than we've ever experienced before. She said that none of us have reached the max joy, hope, peace, and love that God offers to us by the Holy Spirit. I want to say the same thing about our ability to abide with God through Jesus, our Savior. Abiding isn't a posture we achieve. Abiding isn't a checklist item. My kids know of me, but as they grow up, we will do more complex things together, and they will learn more about who I am. Right now, 
I get to cook, and I know which of Matthew's meals are his favorites. But I can't wait to teach Matthew to cook his favorite meals. <laughs> I can't wait for Sophie to exercise or do yoga with me intentionally. She's a baby, so most of her movements are basically yoga. <laughs> I'm excited for the day that my kids start to understand more about my personality, like what motivates me, what I love. And this is what God desires for us. God is looking forward to you knowing him more. And if we believe that God is an infinite God, there's always going to be more. The relationship goes deeper. There will always be more for God to teach you, for you to learn about his personality, his character, his delights. If you're here tonight and you've never spent an intentional moment alone in the presence of God, hear from me that there is more for you. If you're here tonight and you have had a God time seven out of the past seven days, hear from me that there is more for you. There's more for me. There's more for Cassidy. There's more for Melissa. There's more for Brayden. There's more for Lydia. There's more for Shana. Alan, where are you? There's more for you, buddy. <laughs> There's more for all of us. Remember Paul's prayer that you would have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. My kids can only imagine how much I love them. As God's children, we can only imagine how much God loves us. But we experience a life-changing glimpse of this love when we spend time relating to him, just like Jesus did. In your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as we continue to talk about the, all the relationships in our lives this quarter, let's start off on the right foot and engage well in the most important relationship that we will ever have. I'm going to invite up the worship team. Our application questions are simple this evening. Um, I want us to ask, when and where do the gods in my life try to steal my attention? And what does more look like for my relationship with God? When and where do the gods in my life try to steal my attention? And what does more look like for my relationship with God.